Welcome into NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here with Scott Rafferty, and we are at the midway point of the 2022-23 NBA season. Time flies, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. As I said, All-Star is going to be here before you know it, trade deadline, all these things. Um, It's amazing when you think 82 82 games feels like a long season. It goes by quickly. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think the biggest thing that I like to do at at this point in the year, especially, you kind of take stock of of what's real and what isn't, right? And it's like, you know, which of these teams that kind of look like fool's gold, uh, maybe they're actually for real. And which teams who are a little underwhelming, maybe that's just who their identity is. And there are plenty of teams that kind of fit both of those bills. I think, you know, within the next week or so, we'll really know for sure. But I think the, the, the most fun thing to do at, at the midway point of the season is to appoint some award winners. And I think it's interesting to look, you know, at the success and who you accredit uh, that success to. So I, I think the best place to start is at the top and then fill it out from there. Um, the, the MVP race has been very unique and interesting this year, Scott. I, you know, before we get into our, our favorites and, and argue over who should win it, um, what has been your take on just the stellar outstanding play just from from these mvp caliber players around the league crazy i mean look we talked about it last week donovan mitchell drops 71 points and has 11 (laughs) assists he creates the second most points in nba history in a single game and it feels like he can't even crack the top five in the mvp race like that's how crazy it is Giannis, we're gonna get into it he's a guy who's on the outskirts of it you know what i mean like whether he's the bottom five or the next group and he might be the best player in the league today so it's just it's incredible the amount of talent there is and also just how high of a level these guys are playing, you know? How much are we going to penalize or hold against Giannis for only scoring nine points against the Hornets in a game that the uh, Hornets blew out the Bucks in Milwaukee? Or, or is that, are we just going to let that fly? We're going to let it fly. But you made a very okay. good point in our Slack chat that um, it's another reminder of how absurd LeBron's streak yeah. of double-digit double scoring is. Because all it takes is a guy to get injured early or to have a game like that, right. and that, that streak is broken. For him to do it, I don't even know how long. It doesn't even feel like anyone talks about it anymore because they just guarantee every time the ball goes out, he's going to score at least 10 points. Um, But it's just another reminder of LeBron's greatness. But I'm throwing that out. I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> two things about that LeBron streak before we get into the MVP race one thing it, it's always going to blow my mind that last year when he got ejected for the Isaiah Stewart thing he had 10 points on the dot had that happened <laughs> earlier in the game his streak would have been over because his night was over early and then I believe it was the year he played all 82 games in Cleveland in 2018 Ty Lue played him just long enough for him to get 10 points and then sat him down which is absurd like yeah just go play in, in the highest level of basketball in the, in the world go get your 10 points and then come sit down so uh, two points on LeBron James playing really good basketball at the time of recording the Lakers have won five games in a row maybe he'll enter the MVP conversation uh if he if they keep this up but um as we take stock of MVP I could probably guess who you are crowning as your mid-season MVP how does this work like is this like this is my mid-season MVP or this is who I predict is going to win MVP or is it a little bit of both I think this is midseason MVP. I think this is MVP okay, who, okay, right okay. now in this season. Okay. Um, you can project for it if you want, but that, I, that's kind of how I'm approaching it. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, as you said, Gil, you probably won't be surprised to hear this. I have Nicole Jokic as the MVP right now. We're talking sure. about the back-to-back MVP. His seasons, he's been incredible this season. His scoring is down a little bit, but he's having one of the most efficient scoring seasons we've ever seen. He might be the best passer in the league today. You talked about it last week. He's a guy who might average a triple-double by the end of the season, and he joined Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook as the only players in NBA history to do that if he does it. And look, last season, the knock on his MVP case was the Nuggets wasn't good enough. 
And I think when you really look at it, like that record that they posted was incredible considering they were without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., the second and third leading scorers on that team. This season right now, they have the number one seed in the Western Conference. You know, they're on the heels of the Celtics for the best record in the league. For me, if you put those two things together, the fact that they are in the running for the best record and Nikola Jokic is having as good of a season, if not better than the last two years. And you look at all, I know everyone hates the advanced talk with uh, advanced numbers talk <laughs> with him, but they still all do scream. He's the most valuable player in the league. Like his on-off numbers are absolutely incredible. For me, I did give this some thought. There's a lot of really strong candidates. I think Kevin Durant was the toughest call for me, maybe. Um, but I, Nikola Jokic, I think pretty safely is the MVP for me. So before I get in the, into my pick, and I think that this is is kind of me trying to put myself in the mind of these voters, but also where I'm coming from as well, because it, it's it's not unprecedented, but it's been 35 years or 35 plus years since Larry Bird won MVP three times in a row. And there's a reason why guys, you know, don't win it back to back to back. Voter fatigue is part of it. And then guys are just so good that they set the bar super high and they kind of, in a way, do a disservice to themselves because they're so great that they have to outdo their own greatness. So when I was thinking about Nikola Jokic's MVP case, and and, and and anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I'm pushing for you know him averaging a triple-double, and I think that that might be you know the entryway into the door of him winning it again. He's not there yet, and, and, and that's me being very harsh. He's at nine and a half assists per game. But I think the big thing right now is like maybe poking some holes in it, right? And, and you said it yourself. You know, Last year, they didn't have Jamal Murray. They didn't have Michael Porter Jr., Michael Porter Jr. missed some time this year, um, but those guys are healthier this year. Jamal Murray isn't exactly himself. So it kind of – there's some holes in the holes that I'm poking as well. But I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, Nikola Jokic has his guys now, and now this team is better. He's playing at an MVP level. But I think when you start to break down that MVP argument, it's like, is it a product just solely of his MVP play or is it because those guys are back? Now, I don't know, um, you know, is it a chicken or the egg type thing? Because Jokic makes everybody around him better. But that is what kept me from getting from him from, him from getting my vote right now at this midseason point. And I don't know if you have a rebuttal for that or there's something that could be said to that. But that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. Because I'm on the edge. I was very close. Like, he was my close call. Like, KD was your close call. But that was what turned me away from picking Jokic. How long do we have for my rebuttal? Do we have half an hour, an hour, <laughs> two hours? You just, you just let me go. We got other awards look, to I, get to. No, we, look, you know, take- <laughs> it's, it's hard here, right? Like we're splitting hairs. The MVP race is yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. I just think, again, I think last year, the, the fact that the Nuggets finished what they did, where they did without their second and yeah. third really best player, I think was a testament to Jokic's greatness. His scoring has scaled back a little bit. His shooting, his field goal attempts have scaled back a little bit to make room for those guys. And yet he's more efficient than ever before. Again, he's having one of the most efficient scoring seasons in NBA history. His assists are up. No one makes the passes he does on a nightly basis. I, I just think he's, when you when you kind of like break down the award, like what is the most valuable player? It is the guy who makes the best impact, makes everyone around him better, contributes to wins and all that. I, I think really the one knock on him and his MVP case is defense because mm. this Nuggets team has been incredible offensively. It's defensively where they're in the bottom half of the league. And I think that's the one thing where it's like that might prevent me from picking them to actually win it all this season. Because you kind of have to kind of play like one type style of defense around Jokic just to kind of make up for his limitations. And he's, he's, he's improved as a defender. Like he's really smart. He has great hands. He knows where to be. But he still has his limitations. So I think if anything, that's the knock on him for MVP, especially when we're talking about a guy like Kevin Durant who I'm, I'm guessing you have as your number one um, because he's been he's been absolutely incredible offensively and he's also been really good defensively. 
Not for nothing, to that point you made about Nikola Jokic taking a step back, that is a part of being a valuable player as well. That takes a smart player to do. That takes basketball IQ. So I'm all for that and and, and the ultimate teammate. And, and before I say, thinking about that too, you talked about where the Nuggets were last year. They were sixth in the, in the Western Conference and he won MVP. I'm just saying, Lakers are a game out of sixth in the West. So again, I mentioned LeBron James. I, 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 we talked about him, his greatness last week. I, I'm not going to start that campaign just yet, but he might be on the outside looking in on the periphery because we talk about injuries to Anthony Davis and all that turmoil and stuff going with that Lakers organization. Maybe LeBron interested the conversation. That said, you're right. You're in my mind. I am KD midseason MVP, and, and I guess part of why I asked uh, the question pr- projecting forward because as of today, we found out that Kevin Durant is going to be reevaluated in two weeks with a sprained MCL. It feels like deja vu uh, once again with this Nets team. Third straight year, uh, Kevin Durant with a, a midseason injury that could cause him to miss hopefully not that extended period of time. I know there's some reports that are saying that um, the, the, the hope is that he's only out for, for a few weeks, uh, but Kevin Durant uh, t- to that point has just been consistent he's a part of the reason for the turmoil in Brooklyn with this trade request in the offseason but I I think the perspective that he gained um, you know from the Achilles tear a few years ago uh, just wanting to play basketball he's been the guy who through everything that's happened this season he's been consistent you know when they were a terrible team he was consistent he stayed positive I mean now they're the hottest team in the NBA I believe it's 18 and 2 over their last 20 games Kevin Durant is is playing super efficiently uh, on the offensive end we we joked you you post some clips of of Haywood Highsmith uh, trying and failing to guard Kevin Durant in that heat game before he got injured with the knee injury. Um, And just seeing him continue to perfect his craft, uh, you know, offensively and defensively, just be a a difference maker, uh, even at age 34, his 16th year in the league and 15th year on the court. KD uh, is the guy who I'm with right now. uh, And and the Nets are right at the top of the Eastern Conference standings too. They are. I I will say – Jokic is having one of the most efficient scoring seasons of all time. Kevin Durant's right there with him. He's, right He's shooting 55.9% from the field, a career high. And when really you look at the shots that he's taking for him to be shooting that well is outrageous. Um, Todd Whitehead, who's a great follow on Twitter, um, works for Synergy Sports. He had a tweet about a week ago that Kevin Durant has made 182 low quality shots this season. That's based on a bunch of mathematics. We, we, don't, we don't have to go through what that is, but just know he's made 182 basically tough shots this season. That is by far and away the most in the league. Only five other guys have made, four other guys have made over 100 of those shots. Like he takes a ton of jumpers. He gets long guys guarding him all the time. He just shoots over them. Um, what he's able to do on a night-to-night basis is just absolutely incredible, especially at this stage of his career. The injury that he's coming off of from a few years ago, like it wasn't long ago that we thought an Achilles injury was like the end of someone's career. You know, right. we're seeing him now play, you know, as good as, if not better than he ever has before. Um, right. And he has this Nets team looking like a real threat. You know, we, we talked about it going into the season that this Nets had the pieces to kind of compete, uh, but no one quite believed them because of the stuff that had gone on the last few years. They look like a real threat now. And that's a, I think a lot of that is a testament to KD and the level he's been able to play at. Yeah, we're going to get a good idea of his true value uh, to this team when he's not on the floor. And granted, he will probably be on the sideline, continue to be a vocal leader. But uh, we're going to see who they choose to, to put in the starting lineup. You can't replace the production that he's bringing up, especially the efficiency. But you can do it maybe by committee. Um, and, and hopefully he's not out 
for that long and the Nets can stay, you know, in, in that race. And I think that's what I'm thinking about as I project forward, looking back at, at the MVP race. Jokic missed eight games last year. He played every game in 2021. Giannis missed eight or nine games. I'm not sure how many uh, games the Bucks end up playing in that in that shortened COVID season, but he played 63 games. So I'm looking at it. It looks like the most games an MVP has missed, you know, in the past 10 years is 10. So I, I, do you think projecting forward – KD, he's, he's playing 39 out of the first 40 games in a year. If he misses 9 or 10 with this injury, I think that's, you know, on the optimistic side. And I think that the Nets are worried about bigger things in the MVP race. But as a voter, do you think that um, if, if KD plays 65 games, would it be unfair uh, to judge that against him? Or is there a way, a, a way he could still win MVP uh, playing that few games? I, I think 65 is tough. Like, if you're knocking on the door of 20 games missed, especially if guys like yeah. Jokic... You know what I mean? Like if they're playing 75, 80 games, I think that's tough. In saying that, I think that's the key that you said. Kevin Durant played in 39 or 40 games prior to this injury. If he does miss two weeks and that's about 10 games and he plays the rest of the way and picks up from where he left off, I think 10 to 15 games is more manageable, really, um, around that 10 mark. So for me, I would not count him out, especially when you look at guys like Joel Embiid has missed time with injury. Steph Curry has missed time with injury. You know what I mean? So I I wouldn't rule him out. I think he still has a good chance. But that's also, you know, that's also us assuming that it is going to be two weeks and it's not going to take longer because he did miss six weeks, I think it was, last season. And as you said, reporting indicates that, you know, they're hoping it won't be that long. Hopefully it will be on the the two-end kind of timescale. But you never know with these things, I feel like. That being said, we 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 talked, we waxed poetic about KD and Nikola Jokic real quick before we uh, keep going and handing out these awards. Um, of the other guys we've talked about, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, Steph Curry, even LeBron James. Who do you think is the most likely to maybe burst into the conversation and, and really make a case for themselves in the second half of the season and, and maybe uh, snatch the the throne or snatch the 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 torch from the from the guys who are in the lead right now? Yeah, I, I had Jokic one, KD two. I had Luka three and I felt really bad because I mean, I had Tatum at number four and he's been, you know, the best player on the best team in the league. And that's part of his argument. The other part is he's just been awesome. He's been one of the best two-way players in the league this season. I had Giannis at five as well. And then to your point, you got Donovan Mitchell. I don't know if he cracks that top five, but he's been absolutely fantastic. LeBron James, if the Lakers continue to play at the level they have lately and he can kind of lead them back into that playoff picture, um, I I think that's a possibility. But again, I I don't want to rule out guys like Embiid and Curry either. You know what I mean? Like... Maybe the amount of time they've just missed with injury ends up being too much. But really, I think Steph Steph was in that conversation before he got injured. And Bede, after a slow start to the season, has been absolutely incredible. And the 76ers are starting to look like they're putting it together. So it's, you know, that's I think I gave you like eight or nine names in total there. But again, <laughs> I just think that's a testament to just how incredible this race is. No, I was going to say, I think this speaks to the MVP race. And I know a lot of times, you know, the, the cream rise to the top, so to speak, and, and guys kind of separate themselves, be it through injury, team success or whatever, success or whatever. But I think that, you know, where we are this season, the parity around the league, I talked about, you know, the the Lakers using a five-game win streak to kind of be on the cusp of just jumping into the top six in the Western Conference. I think that speaks to, to where the league is right now and obviously uh, the insane amount of talent. Now, as we move on through the rest of the awards, I think this is one you and I actually might agree on. We haven't talked about this beforehand, but most improved player, I, I think most improved player is a compelling award every year. I, 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 I'm still a little feeling some type of way about Ja Morant winning it last year. I, I you know, I, I understand that he improved a lot, but he also was a number two overall pick. And, and I feel like Carlin saying this, like he is, he's supposed to be a, a superstar. He was selected second in the draft. 
Um, but that being said, uh, you know, kind of looking at those who are favored or, or mentioned in the conversation for most improved player this year, I'm really interested to hear uh, who you have at the top of your list. I totally get that argument, by the way. I will say I don't think we reward enough guys enough for actually making the leap that they're expected to make because okay. there's been so many times in NBA history. Again, like not to pick on him. He's very, very young. Scotty Barnes, everyone thought was going to make a leap this season. He didn't. You know what I mean? Like that is usually the hardest leap to make. So I don't have a I I don't mind giving guys that recognition, which kind of leads me into my pick here. Shea Gilgis Alexander. Look, over okay. the last couple seasons, I think if you've been following Shea, I think you've seen him flashes of this. Like I, he was a borderline mm. all-star last year and he might've actually right. made the all-star team by now had he actually been healthy. Like he's been that good the last couple of years. He has obviously made a leap to the point where now he's getting a lot more attention on the national scale. I think it also helps that this is a Thunder team that is clearly in a rebuild and they're actually competitive this season, especially with Shea on the court. And he's been able to do things. He's nailed a couple game winners this year. Um, but for a guy, you know, mid-20s, he's 24 now. He's averaging 30 points per game. I know the NBA is drunk right now and everyone's scoring 30, <laughs> 40, 50 points on a nightly basis. Um, but the way that he is doing it, driving this offense, scoring as much as he does, um, scoring as effortlessly as he does, you know what I mean? Like he's not even a lights-out three-point shooter. He's not taking a ton of threes, but he's super shifty. He's a guy who's comfortable from mid-range. He's great from floater range. At the rim, he's super crafty. I just think he spent the last few years kind of adding a little bit more and more and more to, to his game. Where now to me, he's, he's a no-brainer all-star. Um, so to make that leap into stardom for him, you know, again, this is something I, I kind of saw. I, I expected this from Shea. I expected him to develop into a star based on the way that he was playing the last couple of seasons. But I do think it's important to reward those guys for making that leap. Making good on that potential. I understand that. And it's interesting because that is what ultimately kept me from selecting I thought so. Shea. Uh, I, I, had, I had him second, uh, actually, when I was kind of jotting down names of guys who were worthy. And after Shea, actually, was Anthony Simons. And I'm a big Anthony Simons guy. I think um, he's kind of taken a, a similar trajectory, obviously a different player uh, than C.J. McCollum. But C.J. McCollum gets traded, opens up the door for him, and he's doing exactly what they envisioned him to do uh, in that. That said, I think there's something to be said for guys who are written off. And I went with Laurie Markkinen. Uh, you know, apparently uh, uh, on on basketball reference, his nicknames include Laurie Legend and Laurie Bird. I'm not going to go that far, but just, you know, <laughs> I, I was reading, I was reading, <laughs> those are great, right? <laughs> I was just reading it and really looking at, you know, what he's done this season in Utah. Um, this is his third team in, in three seasons. He was in Cleveland last year. He was kind of just packaged off in that Donovan Mitchell trade. And and people were saying, you know, they're gonna he's going to be probably gone again by the end of this year. Um, now he looks like a, 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 a cornerstone for this Jazz rebuild they have going on. They're finally starting to lose games after that hot start to the season. I think it was a stat. He's the only player in the NBA with 70 made threes and 70 dunks. Had a crazy poster the other day. He's averaging uh, just under 25 points per game. And I know you talked about him potentially being an all-star uh, in the all-star game in Utah. I don't think that anybody ever uh, in, expected him to to be a fringe all-star after what we saw from him in the first several seasons of his career. We thought about it when he was a rookie coming out of Arizona, but after that, I think he kind of gotten written off after that. So um, to see him at that point and, and see the confidence boost that he had from, from representing Finland at Eurobasket, I think that's huge, and I think that's a big uh, improvement and made a big leap uh, this year for Lowry Marketing. So he's my choice. 
I mean, Brian Winhorst on his podcast threw around the M word for Larry Markkinen when, when talking about <laughs> extensions coming up and talking about him as a potential max guy. I mean, again, that that's, that's not something, that's not a conversation we were having 12 months ago. But yeah, I mean, he's no. a great choice, honestly. Like, I don't think anyone saw this coming from him. He's been a big time scorer. I think it's shocking to me that the Jazz is still third in offense this season. And a lot of that has to do with him. You know what I mean? Being able to drive that offense, the spacing he provides as a stretch four, stretch five, what he can do from mid range, tack the basket, everything like that. He's a great choice. I'm, I'm not mad at it. I, I just, I have Shea number one. I also think Tyrese Halliburton is a hmm. very strong candidate here. Um, and a guy, I actually had him second and marking him third in mine. Um, okay. Tyrese Halliburton has, has led the league in, in assists for a good portion of this season. What he is doing, driving a Pacers team that is still in the top six in the Eastern Conference. I think I remember writing going into the season, like everyone expected this team to, to be one of the worst teams in the league this season, yeah. right? And it's it's similar to Markkinen. Like we wrote this team off, but but Halliburton's kind of driving this this team, um, competitive every single night, what he's able to do, looking like a young Chris Paul, like a really, really strong leader. Um, so for, for me, I... I, I kind of have those three. Simons is another strong choice. I'd probably have him mm-hmm. at number four without giving too much thought into it beyond those candidates. Um, but yeah, I, I still think Shea for me. The guy's averaging 30 points per game. Um, and again, I, I just love that that leap into absolute cemented stardom. I'm going to smile every time uh, you, you refer to Halliburton as a young Chris Paul because I love that. We talk about those Pacers. <laughs> uh, midway point of season, exact midway point of season, 23 wins. So they uh, outdid their preseason prediction of 22 and a half wins at the midway point of the season. Wow. Don't know if they're a 46-win team, but to be at 23 uh, at this point is a big testament to that team. And speaking of guys on that team, Benedict Matherin. Uh, he is the super sub for this Pacers team, and uh, he's in six-man-of-the-year conversations at the midway point because of his play off the bench. Does that make him the favorite to be a uh, guy who's having that role on a team that's that successful, or uh, do you have somebody else in mind for your six-man-of-the-year? Because this is kind of an interesting uh, race for this award. A lot of guys, nobody's like really clear-cut because I talked about flaws in the MVP race and like, you're, you're nitpicking. There's some big holes in, in some of these guys' cases. Really, really tough. I think this is the one I had the hardest time choosing over. For me, it was between, I think, four candidates, unless I'm missing someone obvious mm-hmm. here. Um, you, you mentioned it. Benedict Matherin, absolutely deserving of consideration. Bobby Portis in Milwaukee, what he's been able to do off the bench for them. Russell Westbrook is actually the favorite still, I believe. And, you know, I think he deserves a ton of credit for, for accepting this bench role and also finding a way to really contribute meaningfully to this team, given how they started the season. The fourth one and the one I have right now as a sixth man of the year is Malcolm Brogdon. I think ultimately right. he has the fewest holes for me. And I just think when you look at a six man on your team, he kind of checks all the boxes, right? Like he can come off the bench as a playmaker, keep your offense going without your stars on the court. He can also play next to those guys. He can start if there's an injury. He can play on ball. He can play off ball. He gets after it defensively. I just think ultimately he's a guy who you don't have to really tailor anything to. He's going to find a way to make it work. A really, really smart player. So for me, that's why I have Brogdon number one right now, but it is it is really close, and there's a, there's quite a few candidates here. 
It's very difficult. I, I had those same names down that you have. I think one of the person who was kind of mentioned uh, around is Jordan Poole, but I think he's going to end up starting too many games with, yeah. with Steph Curry's injury. Um, and he's a guy who's a much better player when he's starting than coming off the bench. I think that defeats the purpose of the award anyway. I actually had Bobby Portis. Um, I, I think with this one, I didn't want to overcomplicate it. I went with my first instinct. Um, and, and maybe it's me just looking at the numbers and box score, but also realizing the impact he has on that team and, and the emotional jolt he gives them coming off the bench. But also averaging a double-double off the bench is pretty Pretty impressive. Uh, 14 points, 10 rebounds. We started in nine of 39 games for them uh, so far. And there's some weird, not weird things, but you know the Bucks have been up and down a little bit and they've had their fair share of injuries. I think, um, you know, they experiment uh, during the regular season because they understand that, you know, experimenting now will put them in a the position to, to win 16 games when it's important. Uh, but I do think that Bobby Portis is a guy who doesn't get talked about as much or as much as I thought he would uh, in that six man of the year conversation. Again, averaging 14 and 10 off the bench is, is certainly nothing to scoff at. I'm not going to hold uh, uh, his performance against the Hornets against him. I think he might have even uh, outscored Giannis. And again, Giannis, we love you, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. We're not holding, <laughs> holding that uh, Hornets that Hornets game against you. The Hornets were red hot, and uh, I think the, the Bucks waved the white flag early. But uh, six-man of the year is certainly um, intriguing. And if Russell Westbrook continues to get uh, talk, would this be the first time the six-man of the year is like a narrative award? Because you mentioned him accepting the role. So th- that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. I do. The one thing I will admit I struggle with is like if anyone else was putting up the numbers that Russell Westbrook was off the bench, would they be the clear favorite? Like, would we be talking about it more, making a much bigger deal of it if it was someone else and not just Russell Westbrook? Ultimately, again, it goes back to the whole like there, there is still problems when Russell Westbrook is playing next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? Like right. it's it's a harder decision. Like, do you play him down the stretch of the games just knowing what his weaknesses are and what he kind of leaves off the table? And again, that's why I kind of lean towards someone like Malcolm Brogdon, because I just feel like no matter how you want to use him, he can do that. And I just ultimately, I think that's probably the most important thing with the six man. But again, like huge props to Russell Westbrook for what he's doing, because it did feel like, I mean, we were having conversations at the start of the season, like what's next for us? Like he's struggling as much as he is in the starting lineup. If he gets moved to the bench and he can't contribute, like what does his future look like in the NBA? Like, is this kind of the end for him? So for him to find a role as a sixth man, to thrive in it. Um, and again, like you mentioned it, the Lakers are winning now, right? Like mm-hmm. They're knocking on the door of a top six seed in the West. He's contributing to a team that kind of is trending the right direction. Um, I do think he deserves a lot of props for that. I just don't know if I can kind of give him sixth man of the year. In saying that, doesn't he, is he tied now for the most triple doubles off the bench um, in a single season? He's either tied or he has the most. He's got um, three. So He's got three way, already. And we're we're midway, midway through yeah. the season, so he'll definitely get more. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Russell Westbrook uh, could could join Bill Walton as, I think, maybe the only two players to be MVP and six-man of the year. You have to, you have to double-check me on that one, but that would be an interesting uh, company to lead. Obviously, Bill Walton was kind of redefining himself after dealing with a bunch of injuries. But in a lot of ways, Russell Westbrook's redefining himself as well. I think the big wild card in that is whether or not he gets traded if he finishes the season with the Lakers. If he does, I think he'll stay at the top of that list. Now, a few more awards to get through. This is a uh, big one, literally and figuratively. Um, defensive player of the year Marcus Smart last year won it first guard since Gary Payton in 96 but it looks like it's probably going back to a big because only names I have written down here are big men I might have a hunch at the big man you went with or at least the team they came from because there are two candidates on the same team but uh, let's see how well I know you Scott who do you have right now as your defensive player of the year I think I'm gonna surprise you Gil this Uh-oh. was actually pretty easy for me. Jaron Jackson really? Jr. Okay. Look, Will yeah. Zay Page. 
Averaging three point, averaging three point two blocks per game, leads the league. Opponents are shooting thirteen point two percentage points worse at the rim when he's defending it. That is absolutely elite stuff. You, I mean, the on off numbers. I had to like double, triple, quadruple check them. Um, the Grizzlies are allowing hundred and two points per one hundred possessions with him on the court. One hundred and ten point seven with him off. That is still an elite number. But the first one, 102, is like the best in the league by absolute miles. Like he is the reason that this Grizzlies team has an elite defense. He already made an all-defensive team last year. He was in this conversation. He has taken another leap as a defender. And the big thing for me too is he's not fouling nearly as much. Like that's been the mm. knock on him. He's not been able to stay on the court because he just bites everything. He picks up a couple fouls in this court. He has to take a seat on the bench. He's not ba- making as much of an impact as he could if he wasn't so ha- like shot-blocking happy sometimes. He's down to 5.5 fouls, 5.5 fouls per 100 possessions, which is a career low, and just down from 6.5 in his career. Like he's not fouling, he's blocking a ton of shots, making everything difficult. For me, he's quite clearly the defensive player of the year right now. With apologies to Brook Lopez, who I think you thought I was going to go with. He's also blocking everything in sight. He plays his role to a T. Um, again, it blows my mind that this is a guy 10 years ago we were talking about defensive liability and how he couldn't stay on the mm-hmm. court. And now he's, you know in conversation for all defense, defensive player of the year. He was a couple of years ago, but he's having an outstanding season. But for me, it was quite clear, Jaron Jackson Jr. I'm right there with you. Jaron Jackson Jr. was my pick to win defensive player of the year. Other guys who, who deserved uh, some, some mention and guys I thought about, uh, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Nick Claxton, another guy uh, up in Brooklyn, yep. uh, really kind of you know kind of learning a little more of himself and learning the game a little bit more. One thing about Jaron Jackson that I'll point out, you talked about his blocks per game and that obviously lends itself right to this stat. Jaron Jackson missed the first 14 games of the year. He's fifth in the yeah. NBA in total blocks. Like that's that's Crazy. absolutely insane. Um, you know, looking at the guys who are like ahead of him have all played at least twelve more games than him, and he's right there uh, in that same company. And a shout out to Walker Kessler, uh, the Jazz. He's fourth in the league in total blocks this year. So the Jazz have a nice piece uh, for the future. They got in that trade, uh, the Rudy Gobert trade. But Jaron Jackson Jr., I got a chance to watch uh, the Grizzlies in Charlotte uh, last week, and just seeing you know the way he moves defensively, um, very fleet of foot, uh, a, a very athletic guy, and he uses his athleticism to his benefit as far as blocking shots and, like you said, just altering shots and making uh, people think once or twice because you know that doesn't even account for the times that guys hesitate and end up not shooting around the basket as well so jaron jackson big time uh difference maker on the defensive end now uh continuing for the last two awards i think this one is an obvious one rookie of the year i think we're on the same page here but might as well go ahead and say it paolo bancaro was my pick uh to win rookie of the year it's not a one-man race i think benedict matherin is still uh you know on his trail, but he's a few miles behind. Uh, Paolo Bencaro is, is is a few big-time performances away to uh, from leaving uh, Benedict in the dust. But right now, uh, Benedict can kind of see him a little bit. But Paolo Bencaro has been awesome this year. It's just a reminder to not overthink that number one pick. Now, I don't want to speak for you. You can, you can correct me if you have somebody else, but I'm thinking you have Paolo Bencaro too. This is so easy that I'm actually going to give you a, a different stat for Defensive Player of the Year. You said it was a bunch of big guys. <laughs> Um, OG Ananobi is not a big guy. And I know I mentioned him okay. at the top, um, the fact that you know, if the Raptors were better defensively, he might be more featured in this conversation. But one stat for you. According to NBA.com, opponents are shooting 28% when defended by OG Ananobi in isolation. This guy puts clamps on people. They do not score against him. So that's in addition to him being one of the most disruptive defenders in the league. Steals, deflections, all that. He can guard absolutely everyone. He's one of the most versatile defenders in the league. 
Um, I personally think that's more interesting than this rookie of the year conversation because it's so obvious. <laughs> it's Paolo Bancaro right now. That is no disrespect to Benedict Matherin, who is in the six man of the year discussion. He is contributing to a team that is competitive, top six in the East. That deserves a lot of attention. But uh, right now, I think it's it's pretty clearly Paolo Bancaro. But I do also want to say, um, you mentioned him, Walker Kessler. He has mm. 64 blocks off the bench this season. The next most for a bench player is 34. That is uh, that is pretty remarkable and a stat that blew my mind. Well, I, think, I think StatMuse tweeted that out the other day. So, um, But you know, not that he's in this conversation. He's not going to win Rookie of the Year. But another guy, another young guy who's kind of proving himself, making a name for himself. So um, I, I've been really encouraged by him. Understated yet yet interesting rookie class. I think a lot of these guys, once the dust settles, yeah. would be uh, big time contributors. And, and talking about Benedict Mathurin, I think if it was any other year, he would be uh, higher up in, in the rookie of the year race. That just speaks to how good Paolo Bencaro has been. Scott, I think you are in paradise right now. You've had an opportunity to talk about Jokic, Brooke Lopez, <laughs> and now you even interjected with some OG love as well. This might be uh, your favorite episode that that we've had so far. Now this is the last one, the interesting one, and I'm glad you know as we talk through the order of which way to go through these awards um we saved coach of the year for last now we talk about narratives and stuff like that that impacted uh my uh thought process and in, in selecting these guys but really interested to, to hear where your head's at uh for coach of the year because so many teams have exceeded expectations so many teams have played through uh some turmoil and gotten past it so i'm interested in if that impacted your uh, approach to selecting this award <laughs> So um, I, I think I know who you went with, but I'm going to give a couple shout outs first. Joe Mazzulla is in this conversation. JB Bickerstaff, yep. what he's done with the Cavs. Yep. Mike Malone, Taylor Jenkins, all those guys are strong candidates. Um, there is one other person who I think you're going to mention, but for me, the pick right now is Willie Green. I think what he was able yep. to do in the second half of last season, I know this is a one-year award, but what he was able to do in the second half of last season, turning that Pelicans team around after they got off to an awful start, was a very encouraging start for him as a head coach and a sign of what was to come. And to have this Pelicans team right now with the third best record in the Western Conference, despite all the stuff they've dealt with, like it hasn't been an easy job for him, right? Like CJ's missed time. Brandon Ingram's been out for a long time and I still don't know when he's going to return. Zion Williamson is now out. Like there's been so many moving pieces. And then you also factor in the stuff about like how deep this team is and being able to find minutes for guys um, from top to bottom. So for me... I, I just think the totality of what he's been able to do to this Pelicans team, uh, he has the edge for me. But I think the person that you're going to say is also a very strong candidate, obviously. You talked about Willie Green and, and you literally said something I was going to say in response to him. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, just ha- the, the the depth that's in New Orleans, right? Like people talked about, you know, just how it's, it's an abundance of riches and it's it's a good problem to have. But at the same time, it is difficult for a coach to figure out how much to play some of those guys, like guys who deserve playing time when they're at full strength, don't get as much playing time as they uh, should get. And and Willie Green is still uh, seeing the development of these guys and also ensuring that guys are ready to step up when they deal with injuries like they are. So that's big time for Willie Green. And he was honored with December coach of the month in the Western Conference. And you know me well. I'm going with the guy who won Coach of the Month in the Eastern Conference in, in December, Jacques Vaughn in Brooklyn. I talked about turmoil, talked about storylines and narratives. It, it's really interesting when they hired Steve Nash uh, in, in the first place back in uh, 2020. Jacques Vaughn 
was the interim coach in the bubble. And I remember it was something about just how well he connected with his players and, and got that Nets team, even though Kyrie didn't come down to the restart and Kevin Durant, who might have been able to play in the restart, didn't play. And you know, they were they were signing replacement players. Jamal Crawford at like 41 years old was playing out there or however old he was. But Jacques Vaughn is a player's coach. Um, and when they took the interim label off of him, um, it's interesting because a lot of people are critical of, of how he talks in the media and doesn't necessarily uh, – articulate the X's and O's the way some coaches do. But I think the big thing with him is the way he connects with with this team. I think for a team with a lot of personalities like the Nets, you have to be able to connect with them. And there's a clip uh, of him in the huddle, uh, that game winner that Kyrie had in Toronto. Um, you know, he draws it to play for KD. K's like, we should draw, we should run it for Kyrie. And Jacques's like, all right, let's do it. And they do that. So just the mutual trust between him, his players, the players and the coaches, the players and each other, um, you know, for a locker room that seemed like it was on fire uh, to start the year for him to kind of, you know, readjust things. And also they've just improved as a basketball team. You know, there's the narrative of the trust, but they, they've gotten better on the defense in. He's gotten a lot out of Yuta Watanabe, gotten a lot out of Nick Claxton, and, and credit to those guys for improving as well, but credit to him for getting uh, the most out of those guys as well. So Jacques Vaughn uh, is my pick. We talked about this Nets team being right at the top of the Eastern Conference uh, after we a lot of us had written them off and, and really uh, you know taken a microscope to their flaws. Um, they're still a flaw team. No team in the NBA is flawless. Um, one other name I had written down, I think that we didn't mention, was Rick Carlisle. I don't know if you might have said his name or not, uh, but we talk about the, you know, the, the Pacers. A really young team, um, you know, and and they're uh, overachieving. Some might say a lot of noise around. You know, are they going to trade their guys? And they're still winning ball games. They're not tanking. A lot of people thought that they were going to be a terrible team, as their uh, preseason over under uh, would indicate. So interesting race with coach of the year. It'll be interesting to see um, again second half of the season which teams um, really kind of separate themselves and, and what coaches can strengthen their case. I think Jacques Vaughn has a great chance to strengthen his case while Kevin Durant is out. Uh, who he inserts in the starting lineup and, and if they can still find ways to win games so that'll be very interesting to see so a lot of interesting races uh, around uh, the nba glad to go through those with you get a good a, a better idea of that um you can head over to the sporting news later in the week we will have our staff picks for uh, all of these end of season awards uh, i haven't seen them yet we scott you did a very good job of uh keeping these uh results very uh close to the chest right now so i'm interested to see who other people pick as well because there are so many worthy candidates for a lot of these awards and i think that's what makes it uh more interesting to follow uh down the rest of the season agreed i mean we it felt like we named three to five people for basically every single yeah. award so and all as we've said like there's so many people who deserve strong consideration have great arguments like jacques vaughn like you nailed it i think the fact that he's been able to get the most out of this team turn them around from looking like, you know, a potential disaster to a to a title contender, from connecting through players, improving their defensive rebounding, which is a big thing for them, getting the most out of guys like a Nick Claxton who's young. Um, you know, the, the, it is trending towards a really good kind of second half of the season, um, just from everywhere. Like, All-Star is going to be, there's a lot of tough decisions to make. You know, these award races, even like, I, I have no idea who's going to win the title. It feels like every single year, we're kind of just like, ah, this team's a runaway favorite. You know what I mean? Like right. last year was the Suns. Like they were running away with it. And everyone seemed like, it kind of seemed like the Suns to, to lose. I feel like it's just wide open right now. You can make a case for like yeah. six different teams. So I, I think we're trending towards a very exciting second half of the season. 
Yeah, very exciting second half of the season. We are here every week on NBA Sound System to cover it all. Next week will be a day later because of the MLK holiday. A lot of action on MLK. Quick quick run through that real quick. Uh, Boston and Charlotte, the Pacers and the Bucks, Pelicans, Cavs. Knicks, Raptors, Warriors, Wizards, and the Warriors are going to go to the White House to celebrate their title the next day. Hawks, Heat, Jazz, Timberwolves, Suns, Grizz, and then the night wraps with Rockets, Lakers. It's kind of an interesting slate. Scott, I don't know if any of those games stand out more than the other, uh, but a lot of cool action and obviously a a great way to celebrate Dr. King. Um, Any of those games stand out to you on MLK Day, though? It, it is unfortunate that I feel like there's a few injuries that prevent this from being, you know, right. like a Pelicans-Cavs game. If Zion's not playing in that, that does take a little awesome. bit of steam out of it. I will say, you know, just embrace watching some of the, you know, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Donovan Mitchell. You know, we got Pascal Siakam playing against the Knicks after dropping, what was it, 50-some, 55, was it? 52, 52 yeah. Um, yeah. On them a couple of weeks ago. Like, th- there's still a lot of good games to watch. Heat Hawks is one I have my eye on. Timberwolves Jazz, like Gobert against his his former team. Um, I will also say a guy that we I feel like we haven't mentioned lately is Anthony Edwards. And mm-hmm. I think this has been a little too late for him to really maybe he will be an all-star. Maybe he will get voted in by the time that the coaches do the reserves. But he's a guy who it does feel like he's kind of putting it all together and he's been really incredible lately. So I honestly, out of this entire slate, that's probably the one I have my eye on the most. Cause I think that's like two teams that are kind of even. Um, you have some intriguing players, Larry Markin, and we just talked about um, watching him go against the Timberwolves. So that, that's kind of the one I have my eye on. But again, like John Morant as well against the Suns. There's going to be a lot of stars on that day, and I, I don't think I've mentioned LeBron James yet, which which feels 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 wrong on my behalf. But uh, appreciate LeBron even if he's going against a Rockets team that's that's really struggling. <laughs> Uh, uh, one one thing for LeBron has an opportunity to uh, knock off another father-son duo. He plays Jabari Smith Jr. He defeated mm. Jabari Smith Sr. Uh, during his career. I think I saw a tweet the other day about all the father-son duos LeBron has played against. So again, just a reminder of how long LeBron has been in the NBA and how long LeBron has been great. But a note, LeBron went 0-2 against Gary Trent Sr. So he did not mm. get to uh, complete <laughs> that father Bring things full son. circle in the pod. It full, you see, bring it full circle <laughs> right back. And now and now Gary Trent Jr. is a clutch client. <laughs> that is it for this week's edition of NBA Sound System. Thanks again for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you will get these in your feed every week. For Scott Rafferty, I'm Gil McGregor. Catch you this time next week, but a day later. Have a good one. <laughs>